Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer of words, recorder of videos, and tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the Monday edition of my bi-weekly behind-the-scenes DM-only livestream Crafting the Deep, in which I build, write, and prepare for our next session of Call from the Deep. If you're playing characters Gottwald, Maxavra, or Toro, this video is not meant for you, but for the rest of you, welcome. Assuming you're okay with the spoilers, we stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday. You can join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. For our campaign, we use Roll20, and for streaming, I use OBS Studio. Everybody had a great weekend. I had a pretty good weekend, and now we're going to talk about some Call from the Deep. We actually ended things a little bit further than I thought we would last time. We made it all the way to the final uh, boss fight, all the way into the dungeon, which I guess I did end up speeding things along in the street. So I was thinking before it would take us longer to get through this. You know, I, I thought we'd have like a whole session of the dungeon, for example. Instead, we basically had that dungeon last session, and now it's just kind of the final room. Um, we also need to talk about kind of the balance of this fight, and if I want to maybe crank up the difficulty a little bit, just because they've technically got like an abolith on their side, which is kind of unique. Uh, otherwise, the main thing we're going to talk about is like story stuff, kind of the falling action and the tricky part of trying to figure out where the players are going to go next and then trying to prep, uh, I think, three main paths that they can go down without overwhelming them with a bunch of open world options right off the bat. Because unfortunately, this next chapter of Call from the Deep is, I don't know, I, I could go off on a rant about open world sections in RPG, I think that is a gameplay style that I anecdotally have come across most players preferring a more maybe like JRPG style <laughs> where it's more heavy storytelling and you may have some exploration, obviously, but you'll still be generally nowhere you need to go. And, uh, you know, you have quests that take you places versus just kind of wandering around a world experiencing things uh, and this one very much has a chapter which is kind of like that storm king's thunder chapter as well that's just like hey here's the open world of you know the ocean which is neat but um it's all just kind of side questy stuff there's a few tiny dungeons here and there uh, and the whole goal is just to level up the players a few levels so that then they can get to basically it's chapter four and all they need to know is the location of Tentrix's lair, which is a fine, compelling uh, main quest point. Just find out where the bad guys are. But they can learn that from, I don't know, maybe like a third of these locations. And then once they've got that, then they're good to go. They don't really, I mean, they've got like that on their map and they can just go there anytime. Obviously, I want to slow the players down a little bit so that they explore the things I've got set up. And also, I'm going to pretty much replace Chapter 3 uh, maybe I'll use some pieces of it, but, but this is the opportunity where I will seed more of, uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh, uh, the, the parts of Ghosts of Saltmarsh that I like, I'm going to try to integrate those as bigger, meatier dungeon crawls or experiences versus having all these little kind of open world ocean moments. That's not to say we can't dot the world in some interesting things along the way and some hopefully cool encounters and stuff, but... Uh, I am going to play things a bit differently. So we're going from, and it's weird because we're technically, we've been on the book for a while now, but then this these last couple sessions have also felt like they're off book because uh, the book was so, I mean, I, I, I put all the different fights together in one town and then only used like the whole ghost pirate thing here. And, uh, but we had all the harbor stuff before that and all those encounters. So that part was kind of extra. So 
we've kind of been on book with extra stuff, but now we're going to have fixing to go uh, kind of off book while still providing some story context. So, and I know that's not the most exciting thing to talk about for a crafting stream. It's better to talk about like, you know, combat and enemies and balance and staring at putting maps together and all that versus me just kind of drolling on about the story stuff to put together. And one of my goals for this campaign was I did not want to make a big convoluted, you know, complex story with all these different villains and factions and things going on like we had in Rhyme. I really enjoyed doing that in Rhyme, but I think it's tough to sustain a story of that length and it added a ton of extra time to that campaign versus this one. I'm looking at being a lot more streamlined, a lot more simple in terms of like, hey, yeah, you've already figured out like the Mind Flayers have crash landed here. They've uh, somehow joined forces or maybe are behind a lot of these attacks. And then there's all these sea factions and creatures have banded together to attack the Sword Coast. And we've got a villain in Tentrix that Gottwald hates, so that's great. Uh, so where is Tentrix? And then if we le if we go to Tentrix and find him, then that should lead us to the big bad, which is pretty much just the whole main quest here. By the way, hello, Nate, James, Hydras. Good to have you back. Welcome back. Demnix, meet dungeons. Mm. As long as the dungeons aren't full of ghosts or skeletons, uh, then I imagine most dungeons are meaty dungeons. <laughs> what is a uh, non-undead... I mean, even some undead are meaty, right? Like, if they're a zombie or something, there's plenty of meat on there. They're probably rotting meat, but uh, skeletons, not so much. Not so much meat on the bones. Uh, so, but first we'll talk about this battle here, because we've got a whole week to prepare for this battle, I suppose. Uh, in terms of a final showdown, this is kind of a twist where the players end up saving an Aboleth, because I've seeded the fact that this Aboleth has been calling to the players and needing help, specifically to Toral and has kind of a unique connection to Toral. I will play up on that for sure. But an Aboleth is obviously very, very strong, uh, and probably, I haven't really run the numbers, but I imagine the Aboleth, if you stuck 40 skeletons against an Aboleth, uh, I guess it depends on if all the skeletons can get their attacks off or not, but they're also, all the skeletons are underwater, so they all have underwater combat rules, don't they? I guess technically short swords can bypass that, is that right? I don't know, I'm just trying to figure out the logistics of, like, it. to to make things simple, the adventure says the both the Aboleth and the Pirate Captain are at half health. I've only reduced them by about 40 hit points each. They both have about the same amount of hit points. I think that was just kind of randomly rolled that way. Let's see, underwater combat. Uh, doesn't have a swing speed, has disadvantage in attack, unless it's a dagger, javelin, short sword, spear, or trident. I think skeletons all have short swords. They do, so they're actually fine underwater. <laughs> and they're at the bottom of the water. Now the players may be a little bit more tricky because they're above the water and all these things are happening below the water. Uh, obviously, and also they're skeleton pirates, so of course they'd be able to operate just fine underwater. But the tricky thing is here, like, how much can the players actually help? I mean, I they can help somewhat, hopefully. I'm going to really play up the fact the Abolith is very injured and weakened. I don't know to what extent I should have the Aboleth actually roll attacks versus just describe it. Maybe that's more fun versus having it like, because I feel, yeah, I fear if I start rolling the Aboleth like a normal creature in combat, which, you know, a video game obviously would, like a Baldur's Gate or something, then the players would see its stats and go, well, wait a minute, why the fuck are we even here? Like this thing can easily take out all these skeletons. 
The Aboleth stat block makes three tentacle attacks. Each tentacle attack has a plus nine to hit and does an average of 12 damage. So against a skeleton's AC of 13, that means probably he's got like a 75% chance to hit. And if he's doing 12 damage on average per hit, he's basically killing a skeleton with one attack. So you could almost kill, more than likely could kill like three skeletons in a single round, which is kind of nuts. Um, and that's not even including its legendary actions in which it can do uh, tail attacks, which is even stronger. So I was looking at that going, gosh, I don't know. The Avalet seems like it's just doing just fine. Now, the Revenant is significantly stronger. That's true. Um, he has two attacks. He's got a plus seven to hit. And weirdly, his fist does 11 damage. I gave him a weapon and gave it necrotic damage just because it feels like just punching people would be lame. Uh, I guess I could up that weapon's damage somehow. Maybe do two. I don't know. But anyway, he's doing 10 damage on average with a plus seven. So he's... What does AC does Abeleth have? AC of 17. That's pretty solid. Uh, so that means Dear Bartholomew Black Dagger has about a 50% chance to hit the Abeleth. So on average, he's getting 10 damage off per round. The Revenant does rejuvenate 10 hit points. So, I mean, the Abeleth would be taking damage, basically. If it had to, if it had to be killing skeletons left and right, uh, then, you know, if some of them might be able to hit him. But and I've I've advertised the fact that they've you know killed a lot. There's bodies everywhere, and then Black Dagger's been able to do some damage. So my concern is if I just roll the Abbot like normal, have it rolls three attacks, the players will be like, all right, what the fuck? Like you, the Abbot is going to take care of everything real soon. So maybe I might just describe. Hopefully it's not cheaty if I just say I describe the Abbot just murdering two skeletons with its tentacles, just smash them against the walls versus actually having to roll in the open. <laughs> the other thing I could do is always add more enemies. Uh, without turning this necessarily into a slog, but again, we, we're starting the session with this combat fight, so, you know, energy will be high and everything. Uh, if we go back to... Let's see, where is it? Attack on Neverwinter. I believe it's actually scripted where another ten skeletons arrive in this fight. No, nope, it's not Attack on Neverwinter. It's House of Knowledge. Under V3? Yes. Development, the pirates have arrived. Black Dagger and six pirate skeletons are engaged in an underwater fight with Zexaro. Black Dagger and Zexaro have half their hit points remaining. The remains of skeletons float nearby. And then the priest and two whips in area V7 join the combat in two rounds, as do ten skeletons. Now, I've already introduced the priest as kind of just an NPC ally, and there's no way I'm going to add the whips to this fight because they're just too strong, and I don't think... The Aboleth needs any more help, and it would really even take away more from the players rescuing if he's got kind of these just swole-ass Kotoa to help him. Yeah, I guess. My, the other big thing is I was informed uh, today that uh, Raymond won't be able to join us this week. He's going to be out of town uh, on uh, a little bit of a, not a vacation, but a, well, anyway, he's out of town this weekend. Uh, so he won't be here, so that definitely colors the uh, balancing quite a bit. Uh, in terms of resources, yeah, they've been through a lot, that's for sure. I just want to make sure it feels epic enough. Um, the only other thing I would add, again, is just more skeletons, although that might just add more tedium. I could add a white into the mix, because we mentioned the fact that there's a white that's mentioned, uh, but but is never actually put in this dungeon as one of uh, Black Dagger's you know, first mates or whatever. Um, 
I mean, in terms of like hit points and stuff, they're actually doing pretty good. I guess the main thing was, even though they were challenged two sessions ago quite a bit, they weren't really challenged at all last session. I don't think, for example, anybody actually cast a spell or, uh, you know, barely lost any hit points or anything. So that's why I feel a little more cavalier about adding maybe some more danger to this one. But maybe we don't. Maybe we just need to let them treat it as kind of a weird puzzle with all this water and underwater crap going on. I don't know. I do have some extra skeletons I can march in here if I really feel like the players just came out guns blazing and start killing skeletons left and right just to give them something extra to do. Because the weird thing is they could spend this whole fight not being attacked, right? If if the if well, I'll tell you one thing I could do is uh Black Dagger has specifically been I guess maybe his revenant things, his white hand man, thank you, Demnix. I wonder if by hiring the, or being, whatever, the Black Dragon controls the this undead pirate, if he can set his Revenant features onto his target. That's what I would say, because that's how they were able to make a beeline straight to this Aboleth, as he was given uh, somehow, he's just like the ultimate undead hunter, the Terminator, if you will. So that means he can use his Vengeful Glare on the Aboleth, which means as long as he's within 30 feet of it, uh, he can force the target to make a DC 15 wisdom saving throw. And on a failure, the target is paralyzed until the Revenant deals damage to it or until the end of the Revenant's next turn. Oh, it's only for a turn. Target is paralyzed, the Revenant deals damage to it or until the end of the Revenant's next turn. So it's just a one turn paralyze. When the paralysis ends, the target is frightened of the Revenant for one minute. Now, DC 15 wisdom save. I'm sure the Avalanche got a pretty good whiz save, but I don't believe they have legendary actions. Has a plus six. So, uh, what does that mean for DC 15? It's like 15, 50% chance or something. I could also hand wave that and just say, oh shit, he's paralyzed. He like glows his hands and the entire Aboleth just kind of jerks in the water. And then, is it only until it's damaged or the dude, the Revenant deals damage to it. So that'd be pretty nasty. If you could paralyze a target and then have all your allies attack it. Uh, that would be like Otto Critzville, wouldn't it be? Paralyze is a bad one. Yeah, Otto Critzville. Okay. So that might be something I could do and something I would hand wave because it feels cinematically interesting. So I, I wonder if I can get away with basically not like keeping a lot of the Aboleth stuff under the table and just describing it uh, in the story versus actually rolling the dice down there. I, I feel like if I wanted it to be up to the dice, I would put it out there in the open, but if I want to make things interesting, uh, I think that'd be an interesting way to do it and give the give the Revenant kind of an extra ability to do, which would be kind of nifty. So I might I might be able I might get away with employing that. Uh a white might just be a little too tedious versus just adding a few more skeletons into the mix. I don't know. I'll copy and paste a few just to see. Skelly Bros. I doubt I'll use too many more, but they're here if we want them. Even roll hit points for them. Actually, I guess I rolled pretty good. <laughs> a lot of these ones are pretty weakened. But we will be down a player, so that's that's probably why I won't add the white here. To get more wrapped up in the cinematics, yeah, I think so. So, I think this might be a good excuse. And I, you know, I usually roll things out in the open, I usually keep it all above board, and all the players and me enjoy 
you know, letting the dice tell the story. But I think in this case, just because we've got such a powerful creature that way outclasses, you know, it's weird, like, help, I'm the damsel in distress, save me. And the damsel happens to be this giant tentacled monstrosity that's that's way stronger than this entire party combined, sort of. I did think about uh, either having an ongoing effect or uh, having the Aboleth... Where the f- did I close its window? There it is. Uh, having the Aboleth just target uh, Twirl with this, but its Psychic Drain ability, it needs to do an Enslave action, which is to force somebody to make a DC Wisdom saving throw or become charmed by the Aboleth. And then as a Legendary action, it can just automatically deal 3d6 psychic damage to a charmed creature excuse me and then the Aboleth can gain hit points that way so i thought even that's a tricky thing for me to get off because i ultimately want the players to you know ally with this creature uh but i would try to do it as like a desperation move like the Aboleth saying like i need your will power your life energy or something I mean, life energy sounds a little too aggressive i need your love give me a higher love Six Zaro sings in your mind <laughs> and then sucks out your life energy dealing psychic damage. Does it actually roll correctly? It does. Psychic drain. So I thought that'd be cool. The other thing I could do is just have that be an effect. Like it just deals this to everybody in the room as some kind of major ability and then like everybody takes psychic damage. That's probably a little too nasty. But uh, I don't know, I thought it'd be a cool, again, because without like tipping my hand about even what an Aboleth is capable of, maybe when it goes into paralyzed mode, like it deals that, or when it comes out of paralyzation, it suddenly has like a wave of psychic energy and everybody just takes 3d6 psychic damage. Maybe that could be kind of a scary thing to have happen. So yeah, I, I'm planning on basically playing around with this fight a little bit, hoping it can be uh, a little more interesting and exciting. Uh, it's already a tricky situation having been down a player and then also having this be an underwater situation. But you saw leading up to this fight, it was pretty satisfying where all the players suddenly like, oh, let me turn on all my underwater things. Or in Zavra's case, my anti-water things, which is climbing on the walls. Uh, but Gottwald could, I believe, drink a potion. Toral doesn't actually care because he's made for water. And then Mac used his Cloak of the Manta Ray, although like I said, he won't be able to be here for this session. But uh, that was pretty satisfying and I'm glad that the players have been getting a lot of different abilities and tools to operate in and around water, because obviously that's a big part of this campaign. I like the psychic damage idea, yeah. Especially if I can trigger it, not necessarily like it's like waves every turn, but like if something really bad happens to the Aboleth, like I pull off my paralyzed thing in like, I don't know, round two or something. Uh, And then maybe either when it happens or when he comes out of it, because it's supposed to, let's see, he comes out of it... Uh, until the Revenant deals damage to it, which would be like the Revenant does a big auto crit, basically, right? Because if he's paralyzed, that means he has advantage, and then any attack is a crit. So that would be pretty big. Um, and then he would do his big psychic thing, and then he actually becomes frightened of the Revenant. Can Apollos become frightened? Oh yeah, he's got no condition immunities. Really? An Aboleth can be knocked prone? Okay. <laughs> I guess if it wasn't in water. Seems kind of funny. A plus 12 to history. Seems appropriate. The cloud thing I don't think is going to come into play because the undead can't be diseased. Yeah, tail swipe is legendary action. I don't probably want to use that because honestly, probably not going to use legendary action. It's going to make him too strong as it is. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The Aboleth comes out and it's like, you know, frightened of 
black dagger and it's sending out like this just psychic damage that uh you know rips apart a lot of the skeletons but also deals a lot of damage to the players and then i can emphasize the fact that the avalith is like really like dying and whimpering now and maybe the players will be okay with that i don't know i'm hopefully with with reese's help i can make it so the players want to save this creature i mean clearly these undead have wanted to kill this creature for a reason you know, there's been this priest back there. The fish people are all nice. You know, I, I think I think we've gotten to that point where the players and we don't have any of these righteous Kalinar types where they're gonna be like, or or a Scarlet, where they're gonna be like, no, we're not gonna fucking work with this monster. Instead, this party is, if anything, the most likely to work with uh, the the unlikeliest of allies and NPCs, uh, as evidenced by everything they've done before. So I'm, I think we'll be able to get that off. And then uh, the Aboleth. So from here, uh, I think we'll branch out into three... That's that's actually very true. I forgot about that, Nate. Kalinar did sign up for a lich. I actually... In fact, that was the beginning of getting the players to trust non-conventional NPCs. I keep citing Kalinar, but that's a good point. I don't know if the players... Have, I guess we haven't really had a, a strict player that's been like, no, I'm absolutely not going to work with this kind of creature. I guess Scarlet would be the closest, but even then it would be you know like a party decision. I think. Um, but I've got three ideas for main uh, quest paths from here, and Zixaro will give one of them. I like the idea of Zixaro actually telling the players, you know, hey, I've been. He'll be basically tell them like, hey, I, I monitor, you know, the Kraken Society. I spy on them to see what's going on in the ocean world and keep tabs on. You know, Slarkrathel and everything. And recently I found Slarkrathel, like something terrible has happened to him. And I haven't, you know, it's just been, I don't know if he know, he, he probably, hmm. Was he the one who hired the players initially? <laughs> Is the idea. That'd be a fun reveal. That would be a fun reveal. Because if so, then... Maybe he doesn't know everything. Maybe Toril's been an agent this whole time. <laughs> now I'm thinking. <laughs> Toril's like, hey boss. <laughs> uh now I don't now Zixaro is not the is not the fathomless. I like Slarkrathel being the fathomless. I think a Kraken has the power to bestow. Uh, warlike warlock abilities onto his chosen, but uh, Slarkrathel has been corrupted by an elder brain and has been taken over and is now has like all these grand designs for conquest and everything else, and has like united all these forces and the mind flayers are moving very quickly and through the pirate lords, through the Sawagan, and through the Kraken Society are the three main big uh, problem forces here. And for Zixaro, he can specifically give the players information about a weapon being built in some uh, rundown port area where, like, the Kraken Society is operating. I think if I want to do the Kraken Society there, because the problem is, you know, anyway, it's the Styes. The Styes is a really cool adventure from Ghosts of Saltmarsh. Uh, very Lovecraftian, very creepy, and got murder mystery and all this neat stuff in it. 
I'm probably going to end up changing. I mean, all the one I'm probably going to have to change, but I'm not, I'm not really going to use the whole Thara's Dune thing and the whole like Renegade Aboleth thing. Um, or, or maybe I can use some of that in terms of Zixara. We'll mention the fact that like even the Mind Flayers have managed to corrupt some Aboleths. Maybe I can look into that. But anyway, the plot line will be like they're building some kind of weapon. And even Zixara won't know what that weapon is. And it turns out the weapon could be a juvenile, will be the juvenile Kraken from the Styes, which is the big, I think, boss fight at the end of that one. The Styes is actually designed for level 11. So I'm probably going to have to tone that one down when we get to it. Uh, because I believe all of these paths that I'm uh, having the players go down would be for like mid tier 2. And then they won't. Uh, I think by the time they get to chapter four, so when they gain the knowledge of how to get to the Nelanthor Isles, I think that's ninth level. The character should advance to at least eighth level before they assault Sea King, Tentrixus, Floating, Fortress, or Purple Rocks. Shit, is it eighth level? Hmm. Well, I might have changed that to ninth level. <laughs> Maybe I'll bump them up a little bit later in levels then, which is fine. Because I'm thinking each of these paths, the three paths, they would rate, they would gain a level. So they're going to gain a level after doing this. After doing the big saving Neverwinter thing, they'll they'll get to sixth level. Let's see if I do my math right. And then if they do one of the paths at sixth level, another path at seventh level, and another path at eighth level. Right? Because they'll do one at six, and then they'll level up to seven. I'll do another one at 7, level to 8, another one at 8, level up to 9. Yeah, that'll be 9 for uh, Tentrix's Lair. So a little bit later, but that's okay, right? And then when they level up to... It doesn't say on here, does it? To discover the entrance to Ascarl, they should reach at least 10th level. Okay, so it'll it'll be pretty close. Anyway, the three paths. So one of them is the styes, which I I don't really have a lot of in between paths for that one. I was just gonna have Zixara go ahead and tell them the location of where it is, but not anything else about it. But maybe that's like the furthest location, and then we can have like encounters and stuff along the way. So that one's not gonna have like uh, steps in that quest necessarily until they get to the styes. The other two, one of them is gonna be following up on the Sawagan, which um. They can, I guess I'll have them meet with like Lord Neverember. Obviously, they're going to want to talk with Kalinar about, and, and they'll basically give the same speech. I mean, they'll thank everybody, but like, all right, this needs to be investigated and followed up on, and we need to follow all these different uh, enemies that attacked us. And for the Sawagan, we run, a, we want to run the final enemy, which is a major, huge underwater Sawagan fortress stronghold, I guess. Uh, this one I was going to, the idea here, this this whole base used to belong to lizard folk, so I was going to use the uh, one of the quests from Danger at Dunwater, where the lizard folk uh, hire the players to uh, take out a giant crocodile, I believe, like a huge monstrous crocodile with like legendary actions and shit, and then they'll tell them uh, about the Swagan base, and that's where the Swagan are coming out of, basically any wearing the Northern Sword Coast, and the players can assault the Sawagan Lair. And the main follow-up there will be, like, they successfully, even though the players stopped a lot of the Sawagan from uh, kidnapping 
people, at least in some cases, they were still able to make it out with a lot of people. And we just need to go a rescue people, which of course I can insert some NPCs the players care about and B just stop the swagging. Like they're, you know, they just, they keep fucking attacking everybody and they're under the control of the mind flayers and it's bad news. So go there and take them out. Uh, major, major base. They have to take them out at, but the goal there, I can, I can put one of the, uh, mind flayer lieutenants at the Sawagan base. And then at that point, the player should be strong enough, depending on which one they go to next, to be able to fight mind flayer. Although I realize they may only be sixth as opposed to fifth level, but it's the best I can do, man. <laughs> That's the thing is I won't necessarily tell them which one to do next. It's really going to be up to the players, the order of the events. I can probably guess to their order because I can put the styes the furthest away uh, versus the third one I'm about to talk about, which is following up on the undead pirate attack, is going to be the closest one to investigate because that one is actually from the book. Uh, look, uh, so that one I'm willing to look at attack on. Let's see, where's that one at? Let's see, hired through Garander the Vile. Which I believe somebody recognize, which I already had somebody recognize. Uh, Black Dagger. It actually just talks about Pirate Strong. Anyway, yeah, they go to Pirate Strong, which is a giant earth moat just north of Neverwinter. So it's definitely the closest. Uh, so backstory here. To access Pirate Skyhold, the characters must fly 100 feet to the earth moat. So how they do that, that's going to be an inter interesting challenge. Can they purchase flying mounts in Neverwinter? Can some kind of flying device? How do people normally get up there? If anybody tries to go up there, are these people attacked? Like, I'll have to figure all that out. Dragon does have a, a horde. Actually, he's kind of a lame horde. A bag of holding. Two potions of greater healing. This is a fucking, like, adult black dragon. Yeah. Kind of lame. 11,000 gold pieces is pretty good, though. <laughs> uh, you can get an airship, which is pretty powerful if you wanted to try to repair that. Cost 20,000 gold. Characters could potentially discover the planned attack on Neverwinter by Bartholomew Black Dagger's portion of the Black Armada from Garandar. Uh, well, no, they already did the attack. Yeah, Black Dagger's ghost ship arrives after characters arrive at Neverwinter. Garander knows the Kraken Society has something to do with it, but doesn't know why they want Zixaro dead. Only that, So this is what I like, the fact that they they go there, they may hear the rumors that, hey, I actually don't know if it's well known that there's a black dragon layering up there or not. And they think, oh, we got to go up there and fight a dragon. But actually, I'm going to play the dragon as being this uh, hilariously hospitable, very prim and proper, even though maybe not fit a black dragon too well, but whatever, it's my character. <laughs> And instead, he was just hired by somebody else to do it, maybe paid very well, and then he can pass on the information. So less of a, like, legit dungeon crawl. Although I could turn the Earth mode into, you know, some combat encounters and stuff. Maybe they'll have to fight some... Uh, I don't know. What's, what's on Pirate Skyhold? Encounter the Garand of the Violin is Lizard Folk Minions. Ten Lizard Folk and four Lizard Folk Shaman. It's not going to be very strong for the players, though, is it? Lizard Folk Shaman. Yeah, actually, that's not bad. Use enough of them. Points 22, more class 15. Shaman has 
Conjure animals, reptiles only. Entangle, fog cloud, spike growth. These are all pain in the ass spells. <laughs> I use spike growth to very good effect on uh, last night's Baldur's Gate 3 session, though. I won't spoil anything more about that. Do I need to look up the... I like this whole quest chain, though. It was really interesting. The bummer is... I don't like the way it ended. I think it start. Yes, I was actually thinking about Smog. I loved that... Uh, that scene. Which is the... The super powerful... You know, creature... Gets off a cool monologue... And is, like, down for... Uh, dialogue... Instead of immediately going into combat. Even though he has the smugness, smog, smug, of, you know, toying with his food, asking questions. It's not under attack on Neverwinter. Where was that information? I guess that was the information then. Arbeck, remember the Kraken Society? Uh, paid the dragon to send the pirates to attack Zixaro, whose location was given away by Mayor Solman Galt. Uh, the crew head back to the ocean adventure, return to Pirate Scaldor, start going to the violence again. If the heart of his eyes attempts to recruit the characters of the Abolithic Sovereignty. If the characters choose to take Zixaro's side, the Abolith helps them assault Ascarl in Chapter 5. That would be pretty cool. I don't know how the players would swing that, but uh, hopefully they can choose to... it. The weird thing is, you know, from this campaign, we spent so much so much time in Neverwinter, and obviously it'll be a, a nice chance for some downtime for the players. But I, I could see them never coming back to Neverwinter again for the entire campaign, because they're going to be out doing all this shit in the ocean now from here, and then eventually that's going to lead them to basically the final area. So it'll be interesting to see if they bother to return to uh, Neverwinter again. I don't have a good opportunity to introduce uh, Sanbalay in terms of how he could be used. Uh, if the players think about it, then hopefully I can think of some response to that. Otherwise, I have everything. Uh, I'm trying to think what I could be using him for. Unless I want to use him as the person who tells them about Pirate Skyhold or uh, the Sawagin, I guess. And I don't also have a good opportunity to use uh, Ned... Uh, maybe Ned could be in the styes, perhaps? It would be the only other place I could use. I kind of didn't use him here, but that also wasn't really a good opportunity unless he was just a kind of a random pirate. Or Ori's at uh, Tentrix's lair. Actually, I could put him there. I'm trying to think where else would there be, like, human people. <laughs> and uh, Tentrix's lair, they would be... could be there as well. A catapult to get them up. <laughs> Sling them a hundred feet in the air towards the towards the earth moat. Unfortunately, there's no map for Pirate Skyhold because that's what I'm really debating on. And then my other idea was to have so the way the quest chain would work, they would need to get to Pirate Skyhold once they learn that. Uh, Maybe that's in the quests section. Once they learn where the hell the undead pirates came from. Let's see, Zixaros. Oh, Zixaros got a quest. Is it just to go? 
yeah, confront Arbeck, which is the same thing as uh, hunting down the undead pirates. So where? Let's see. No, it's not in this one. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. I tell that conduit, which is Arbeck. Um, the idea I was thinking of, so they, they have to figure out where, uh, where the undead pirates came from. They'll learn it's in the pirates' skyhold, which is an earth moat floating near Neverwinter. They have to get up there. Then there, I don't have a plan if it's going to be just theater of the mind walking towards this dragon layer, or if it's going to be like a partial dungeon crawl, like how we're going to put that together. I probably would like to make it at least somewhat piratey. Or, no, sorry, piratey dungeony. I've just read the word pirate. It's all piratey. And city, north of the city floats in almost inaccessible earth moat named Pirate Skyhold. Atop this floating hunk of stone is a fortress built by pirates long ago to store their treasures. The fort drew the attention of adult black dragon Garander the Vile, destroyed most of the fortress, killed the resident pirates, and claimed the earth moat for his own. Since then, many have attempted to oust the dragon, but all have failed. Luckily for Neverwinter, Garandar is too lazy to do much himself, preferring to hire out his mercenaries to gather treasure. One of the many slain by Garandar was Black Dagger, a Sky Pirate Captain, whose crew attempted to plunder the dragon's horde. Bartholomew is cursed with undeath by Garandar and now works as a mercenary for the Black Dragon. So it just says to access it, they must fly 100 feet to the Earth Moat. There they encounter Garandar the Vile and his lizard, lizard folk minions. That's it. That's the only sentence it says about what's there. So no information about how big it is. Or if I want to turn this into like a little bit of a, like maybe there's some like traps and like things in the way. Because the bad thing is if, if I want to, if I want to have the players be able to have a dialogue scene with the dragon, that would go over a little more poorly if they've, if they've been killing the dragon's minions like the whole way to get to him. That comes off a little trickier. But, you know, maybe the Black Dragon's also more cavalier about it and just says, oh, well, you've earned your audience, seeing as how you've made it past all my guards and traps. So I think maybe at least a tiny dungeon crawl would be fun here with some traps and some guards and things. But then the twist will be you don't actually have to fight the dragon, you just have to talk to him, and then the dragon will basically just open up to him and be like, yeah, I was hired by this one person I could tell there was something messed up about it, but paid very well. And but then the black dragon will be kind of mad because I like you know I don't want to piss in my own pool. I didn't want to see this big attack on Neverwinter because that's just going to draw attention to the area and make things more challenging for me. So I'm not happy with that. So I will give up this information. Um, you know, assuming the players play nice, of course. And he will point them to Arbeck. Now, though, what I was have uh, planning on changing was that the quest then ends with the players going to the other earth moat, which is Fisher's float and just meeting up with art. No, sorry. They, they just learn about Arbeck, I think. It's Fisher's float uh, of the Kraken society. Who's actually a deep scion who hails from purple rocks. Uh, I think he's not even there though. Yeah. Uh, Arbeck's diary dealing with tricked Mayor into divulging the of Zixaro and a plan for a pirate attack headed by Bartholomew Black Dagger the night after the characters arrive in Neverwinter. There's correspondence between Arbeck and Sea King Tentrix 
And characters who can read Thieves Can't or succeed on a 15 intelligence check, they discover that Tentrix is hidden in Nalanthar. So, boom, you complete this quest chain, and then you've you've unlocked the next location that you need. That's feels a little easy because the it just feels like the players haven't really done anything to earn. I mean, I guess going up to an Earth mode and then talking to a dragon is kind of cool, but I feel like there needs to be more. So my idea was to then have, instead of Arbeck being in Fisher's float, uh, somehow put him in some other dangerous location that the players then have to go to. And then once they go there and shake this guy down or just get information from him, then from him they can learn where the location of Sea King Tendrix is. And perhaps uh, some defensive thing that Tentrix has to keep the players from immediately going down there. I like the idea of the zombie dragon turtle, uh, which is tied to the sea tower, I think. So see, I am using parts of the, but this is all, this is a lot of this is from Call from the Deep, right? I'm just trying to insert, like use what I want and then try to throw in bits of Ghosts of Saltmarsh in there. I have so many fucking tabs everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's just insane prep work. You can just see I'm the meme of just all the papers everywhere and the red lines and absolute insane look on my face. It was the Sea Tower of something. So Nelanthar, right here is where the ultimate uh, Tentrix's lair is, which is the next main step of the main quest. So they won't necessarily know out of the three paths... Which one is the main quest? One of them, again, is to take out this uh, biological WMD, which is a new Kraken. They might think that's the main quest because it's coming from Zixaro. Uh, but actually, that one will just end with them taking out a powerful thing that the enemies are doing. Uh, the Sawagin obviously wants to be taken out them so you can heal, uh, save people and just take the Swagin down. But then actually finding Tentrix's lair, you'll have to do the other path, which is following up on the undead pirate attack, which leads you to the dragon, which leads you to this deep scion. But my change is I want to put the deep scion somewhere else. I did think about putting him in the... Oh, shit, what's the name of it? The other Ghosts of Saltmarsh. Uh, what's the name of that one? I forget. Oh, you don't have the adventures on here, do you? Um, I forget the name of it. It's one of the Ghosts of Saltmarsh missions. Timurat's Fate. That's where it is. Uh, that was the only other one that I thought about I might use in this campaign. Is to have Arbeck be one of the NPCs that is the, uh, one of the survivors in Timurat's Fate. Which is just this island that is being assaulted by a never-ending stream of undead. And then they have to go down and basically deal with the undead to save people here. But like why, in order for him to be there, it gets a little convoluted. Like how did he just flee and end up on this island? And it really feels like you're chasing this one NPC whom you don't even know. So I'm not sure if I can work the context in very well to use that one. But that was an idea I had. And I wasn't even hugely into Temrod's fate, but I thought if I was going to use any others, that would be the one I would use. But for sure, I'm going to use the styes. Uh, pretty close to as written, but I will change how they get there and what they know and probably get rid of like the Thara's Dune stuff and replace it with just Kraken Society stuff. And then Final Enemy, I don't actually haven't read that one too closely other than the fact that it's a giant Sawagan stronghold. I think I can run that one pretty close to as is, but also put a Mind Flare 
uh, lieutenant there. In fact, I could put one in the styes also. If I had that idea of uh, wanting to spread the the mind flayers, uh, the lieutenants out, because I like the idea that they came across one early on, but I didn't like the idea that all the rest of them are just stashed in the very final area of the game in Ascaral, the final dungeon. I think that's kind of a waste of putting a bunch of, you know, essentially mini bosses. Why not just scatter them around if the players deal with them uh, throughout the adventure and feel like they're really putting uh, some nice stops to uh, the enemy. And then any ones that they don't aren't able to take out, we can have those reappear in Ascaral, such as the first guy, Thiliosk, I guess. So I could definitely put one in the styes and one in Tamarot and one in uh, the final enemy. Um, if I don't use Tamarot's Fate, I could probably just maybe use one of the other locations from Chapter 3 uh, to have Arbeck hiding out in or something. Um, there are a few that have actual dungeons. One of them is an underwater vampire lair. That's Nerino. Which is this one. Uh, there's an underwater, underwater elven castle in Care Allison, which is this one. Kind of cool. I, I think most of them are underwater, actually. Uh, one of these locations is actually being plundered by the Kraken Society in the middle of it, too. That one sounded pretty cool. Which one was that? Uh, Omen's Isle. Let's try and use that one. Yeah, this one. Kind of a cool map, too. Uh, it's right in the middle of the Moonshade Isles. It's got some chules. And then... The Kraken Society is in the middle of... Yeah, Spies. Attacking a Cloaker. They're all trying to just get a random sword, but obviously I can change that to be whatever. So that's kind of a cool location. Uh, Orlambar... Sends them on a quest to go to Asavir's channel, which is down here near Nelanthar. And that has the zombie dragon turtle, which I might change that to make the zombie dragon turtle an actual guard, which is guarding the Nelanthar Isles for anybody who's not part of the Black Armada. Uh, fun fact, we last saw a dragon turtle... Uh, in, in fact, I think I've used Dragon Turtle in a couple campaigns now, haven't I? I think it was a we used a Dragon Turtle in Prince of the Apocalypse, which I only teased as this big scary thing the players didn't really want to fight. And I also used a Dragon Turtle in uh, the very start of Tomb of Annihilation, uh, which was only just kind of teased again. They just kind of rocked the boat. Oh, hello, IXXX. Sorry, I missed your uh, questions. Any recommendations for running a game? For kids, 8 and 5. Uh, my recommendation is don't have the game last more than like an hour. <laughs> Honestly, like, uh, that's just parenting advice in general is, I, I don't depending on the kids, like, try and make it a positive experience. And I think attention span is definitely of the utmost importance. So I would say whatever you're going to run, have it be pretty quick. Jump into the action immediately. Um, I'm, I'm sure I would, if I had my list of, modules and stuff at the top of my head I could probably see some that are fairly uh kid friendly definitely give them a chance to talk to creatures um we we had I had fun introducing my oldest to the Humblewood adventure which is definitely 5e uh but it has all but it's a world of talking animals 
Uh, but it's like legit fantasy stuff, and they're fighting against like slime monsters and undead stuff and everything. So uh, it's not like happy-go-lucky, you know, Disney World or anything. It's still it's uh, fantasy world with talking animals. Uh, we never finished our campaign, but it was pretty fun. But yeah, just try and do shorter sessions. <laughs> Chop up content from Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Uh, Chris did that to some extent with uh, his. High level campaign with War for the Lost Plane. Um, oh yeah, and I just read that one, didn't I, Demnix? I just reviewed it recently. Uh, well, I, I read, I reviewed one that was um, a starter adventure, I guess, not necessarily for kids, but Peril and Pinebrook uh, was definitely designed for a starter. But but if you're gonna, but a starter adventure that like really strips a lot of the rules away and just has you roll. I don't think you even roll initiative, for example. You just take turns. And then you have like the one attacks or something like it. It keeps things very, very simple for both DMs and players. It's called Peril and Pinebrook. But yeah, it's uh and yeah, I think it's free on DD Beyond. So thank you for reminding me. I just reviewed that like a a month ago. The Dragon Turtle from Princes. Yeah. So uh this is a zombie dragon turtle, which is slightly different. Uh probably weaker. I think the zombiness means it's weaker in some ways, but it can disgorge zombies, which is fantastic. Uh, and then, of course, Undead Fortitude, which is hilarious. But like the idea of this creature is being controlled, and you have to go to the Sea Terror of Urfong uh, in order to uh, get rid of its control, I guess. So that adds a little more context to the final battle area, and maybe they'll learn that from... Uh, if I'm clever, I can have them learn that from a different resource, or it really feels like going down these different paths, they learn all the information that they would need. But uh, unfortunately, the players aren't necessarily going to know which paths are going to take uh, precedence over the other one, I guess. Yeah, I like the Sea Terror Fong. I'm probably going to use that combo. So I need to start solidifying this. I just have all these notes written of things I might want to use, and now I'm getting to the point where it's like, all right, I need to start like locking things down that I do want to use. And uh, at least get the beginnings of these... Uh, these areas going. Yeah, the only one that worries me is that hopefully they don't. I can I just I can put the styes far away. I'm just not prepared to run the styes right off the bat if they go down there. But I can I can throw the styes like I don't know maybe one of the islands of Mintarn or something would probably be a good location. That's just pretty far south. Versus like the Earth Moat for the undead thing will be right there in Neverwinter, right where they are. And then final enemy um, will probably be like. The main fortress will probably be down here, like near the Mayor of Dead Men somewhere. So those will be like the first two they do before the styes, I would expect. You know, just using the rule of like, we'll do whatever's close. So that way I can delay having to work on that one and worry about uh, water encounters they can get along the way for the styes. Because that one doesn't have all the steps to it. And then I'll try, try to figure out, I guess I need to, the early thing I need to do is is nailed down some kind of a dungeon for uh, the Pirate Skyhold uh, for the Black Dragon, because I do like the idea of that being a bit of a dungeon crawl and a resource strain, but just kind of a twist at the end where they just can chat with the dragon instead of actually fight it. I think that's going to be fun. But then where they go to find Arbeck will be tricky. They, they, the, dragon, the dragon might not know. The dragon will be like, all right, well... This dude lives in Neverwinter somewhere, and then they can go back and ask around, and then maybe figure out that he's fled, and then trying to chase after this character 
and then I can put him in one of these other locations. And then the players can catch up with him. And once they catch up with this character, which, I mean, I could even use, like, the uh, Omen's Isle quest, or uh, not quest, just dungeon area or one of those, to drop him in if I don't want to use Temurat's Fate. Because Temurat's Fate is kind of a big one and has its own whole big storyline going on. And, you know, it might be too much to add. Maybe it's getting a little too cheeky. Instead, we just concentrate on... We could just replace that with one of the other ones. So we'll do that. We'll just figure out one of the other ones. I'm liking Omen's Isle. Between that, the sty is the final enemy. I think we've got a lot of content because if we think about each of those areas as a level up, I mean, that's all we need is to get them to... I mean, I didn't even realize it was 8th level. I wrote down... Yeah, well, I wrote down begin at 8th or ninth level, but more than likely, they're going to begin Act or Chapter 4 at ninth level. Which is fine. They can do uh, Tentrix's docks, all that stuff at ninth level, floating layer, and then by the time they're done with that, uh, and then go up to Purple Rocks, uh, they probably be tenth level for that, and then maybe by the time they get to Ascarl itself, I could maybe put them at eleventh level for that whole dungeon, or leave them at 10th and just level them up at some point when they're in Asgarl to 11th level. But that, that feels about right. I mean, that's that's like a normal paste. Not normal, but normal for 5e, right? Is that they you end up at around 11 or 12. Um, Rhyme, obviously, was the one that I had stretched out and really got up epic levels, and uh, the players got to be a much higher level than usual, but the consequence is it took a lot longer to get there also. So I think in, in this case, we'll be on pace to get about to 11 or 12. Oh, it's tricky. I uh, It's tricky when I get to that, you know, the pre-production is so much fun for the campaign. And then when, you, when you're in the middle of the production and you're, you're laser focused in, you know, can't see the forest for the trees uh, because you're just planning each session week to week and really making sure you've all got it. And then you realize you get to like a cliff and you you go oh shit I have like you know I've been I've been prepping 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 this pretty linear series of events and now all of a sudden it's going to branch off into all these multiple things so suddenly my prep work has expanded exponentially uh, to prepare for all these different areas the players go to with the caveat that I probably know which ones are going to do first uh, and can then go back to prepping kind of piece by piece, I guess, but at least this next one. So I'm I'm thinking we're going to get through, you know, obviously the battle here and then probably just do falling action in Neverwinter, give the players some dialogue opportunities, some cleanup of the town, get them their little medal ceremony, uh, you know, where they're thanked by the populace and, uh, you know, given some good rewards and everything, give a chance to rest and get downtime. Maybe their ship can get upgrades, you know, spend... The rest of the session is kind of hanging out in town, essentially, and get the quests. And then hopefully, if I'm lucky, then even at the end of that session, they'll tell me which quest line they want to investigate first. And again, I would assume it's going to be the London Pirates because that, that Earth mode is next, which means we got to start figuring that thing out. That's probably the one I have least uh, prepped <laughs> because... The Earth mode is just, it, it's a, its an awesome idea. I love the idea of using it, but there's no map for that. There, and there's very little information about how to actually utilize it, uh, for example, in Roll20. So that's going to take a little bit of extra work. 
Hey, Scott, you caught me just at the end of doing the stream, but I love when folks just pop in and see that I'm streaming and want to chat and stuff. Watching Tool Annihilation and Crafting Annihilation. Love you, Steve. You're still at it. I am still at it. <laughs> and in no way is that said. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Uh, I really love these crafting streams, too. They've been an absolute boon for me. Uh, really helped my prep work. It just... Uh, helps me like sit down and collect my thoughts and you know relay them to folks bounce ideas off i i've had a lot of my best ideas and concepts here in real time in the crafting streams which have been amazing so yeah i've been doing them uh since crafting uh in tomb and then when we did rhyme i believe is when i started doing the two a week crafting streams and now i'm continuing that with uh this campaign here with call from the deep and it's it's been a blast i, I love doing it and it's been super helpful for me as a DM and hopefully for other folks to see kind of the behind the scenes process. So always appreciate folks jumping on and chatting. Uh, but I think that's going to go ahead and do it for this Monday edition of crafting the deep. If you enjoy the content, please do check out patreoncom slash rogue Watson shouts to platinum patrons, Joe, will Thomas, Stan, Brandon, Zenocider, eclectic role, Perot, Christopher, Corey, big nut, John F, John L Scott, Eric, Tyler, Nathan, Camp Crystal Lake Counselor, Andrew, Daryl, The Reldron, Captain Woody 79, Stephanie, Andy, Patrick, Jason, Ismail, Ahmed, Lumpy, Spuds, and Gold Patrons, RPG, Papercrafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, The Lizard Lounge, Sam, Drome, Nathan, Fasica, Tortoise, Scott, Ruffus, Carolyn, Jerry, Thomas, and Glenn. Thank you all very much for your support, and I will see you for another crafting edition on Thursday night. They cannot rebury my fiber optic wire, so I will definitely be on uh, Thursday. Still salty about how they didn't do that. They cancel my stream last week. Uh,